Father God, we pray right now that you'll open our eyes and our ears, our hearts and our lives to hear what you want us to hear tonight. Help us to take those words, come Lord Jesus, into our lives right now. By your spirit, speak to us. Enable us to hear your voice and leave us empowered to serve you until the end of days. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you have a seat? Tonight uh, we're continuing our thinking about fellowship and being formed for God's family and we're going to think a bit about being an attractive church. Why do you love the church? I woke up this morning in a shocking mood. I was so grumpy. I have no idea why, so don't ask me, but I was in a really bad mood. But within 10 minutes of being here amongst my family, I was feeling a bit better. Within 20 minutes, I had a smile, which, believe me, was a miracle. By 30 minutes, I was ready to praise God. Why do I love the church? Because I love the people that God has surrounded me with. I'm encouraged by them. I'm excited by them. Seeing 40 kids this this morning with their hands in the air singing God's praise. I love it. I love being part of God's family. Why do you love the church? I've put church because I couldn't fit God's family in there. Why do you love being part of God's family? Why do you praise God that you are part of Burlington Baptist Church in Ipswich? Why do you love being part of God's family? Before we move on, just tell your next door neighbour one thing why you love being part of God's family. Just one thing, if you can. I hope you've all found one. Why do you love being part of God's family? I'm sure you've come up with many reasons. I'm sure some of them are the same as mine, just being part of the family of God. I love the fact that I've got friends who are older and friends who are younger. I love the diversity of this place and all that God has given us. I love it. I love it. I love the fact that God's placed me in a church family. But there are many, many people who would not get that statement at all. They wouldn't agree with me. They wouldn't believe that church could be something you would love. You could sort of say to them, I love being parts of God's family. They just would not get it at all. For many people, church is completely alien. It's something where they think everybody's Christian has left their brains behind. Some of you will remember a few years back, there was a political party called the Natural Law Party. Let me refresh your memory. They believed in yogic flying. Look. What yogic flying was, basically, was if you all kind of got into this position together and you all kind of focused on peace, then these waves of peace would spread around the world. And peace would bring consciousness and stability in the uh, political world. Apparently, it would reduce crime from doing this lovely yogic flying thing. It would enable everyone to live well and reach their full potential in life. I remember at the time thinking, what a load of mumbo-jumbo. I still think that. Having looked into it a little bit more this week, I uh, found on the internet one of their advertising um, things that went on the television. I mean, mumbo-jumbo 
or what. But believe it or not, 7,000 people in Britain joined up with this and all took up yogic flying to produce peace, to reduce crime and to bring happiness to Great Britain. They've lost their brains. Have Christians? Some people think we're like that. That we've left our brains at the door. That actually believing in a God doesn't make any sense at all. We've left our brains behind. Many people actually think that it's all a bit too strange. A church, a building, a cold one at that, with dreary songs, itchy suits, and well, boring, irrelevant. Every time I walk to church, I walk past a betting shop. I've never been into a betting shop in my life, but every now and again, I just poke my nose around the door. Don't go in. Not a confession. But I don't have a clue what goes on in there. I don't know what the procedure is. I don't know what they do. I don't know why all these men look so grumpy. I just don't understand it. I have never been in, and I don't understand it. And I can just see, as I'm walking past, kind of all of these tables and all this kind of stuff, I just don't understand what the procedure is of any of it. I'm sure some people could tell me if they wanted to, but I'm not that interested. But actually, some people feel a little bit like that about church. They don't know what's behind those doors. And if they did come in, they wouldn't know what the procedure was and when to stand and when to sit and what to do and, oh, offering. And they just wouldn't understand it. Behind those big doors, what on earth happens? It's all very strange. Lots of people think like that about church. What on earth is behind those doors? So how on earth does the church of Christ, the family of God, reach out to people who think, frankly, we've lost our marbles, or those who are completely alien to the church culture? How do we show them the church as it really is? How do we show them some of the things we've all said about what we love about the church. The answer was what we explored this morning, or part of the answer. There's lots more to it, but just part of the answer was what we explored this morning. Being an attractive family, the family of God. Being who we are, part of God's family. When the church grasps how much of a family we can be, do you know what? Non-Christians are amazed. They want to know more. Being the family of God in the fullest sense is attractive for those outside. And we're going to explore just two reasons why that is the case. Firstly, it's up on the screen. The family of God is attractive to these kind of people because it provides a place to belong. This is Greta Garbo. She's a Swedish actor. I thought she looked a bit like um, Linda Blackburn, but there we go. I really did. Anyway, this is what she had to say. I never said I wanted to be alone. I said I wanted to be left alone. There's a difference. She uh, reportedly was a very lonely lady. She never said she wanted to be lonely, but she just felt like she always was. Obviously, she was in the spotlight all the time. But she found making meaningful relationships, friendships, very very difficult. 
Mother Teresa, I've said this before, famously said that the greatest disease in the world is loneliness. And as Greta, Mother Teresa and many other point out, they don't actually want to be alone. But there are many people out there who feel alone. Why do you think teenagers hang around in groups? They want to belong to something. Friendships really, really important. Friendships become so significant in those early teenage years. Their whole identity is taken from it. Maybe what they wear, who they are. They just want to belong because somehow that makes them feel complete, accepted. I always uh, laugh at northerners because they always are so pleased about being from the north. It gives them identity. It reminds us of who we are. A basic need in humans is to belong. It's the way God made us. Just look at the Adam and Eve story. We were created to belong to Christ, but also to belong to one another. To be a Christian is to belong to Christ and to belong to his family. That's a basic human need. So why on earth can the family of God be attractive? The world is crying out to belong to something, to be part of something. So many things in our world encourage selfishness. So many things stand in the way to destroy a sense of community, to disperse relationships, friendships, families. It's hard to feel like you belong somewhere where you move around, say, every two years because of your job. The church should be something that's different. The church should provide and promote and display that God designs us to belong to him, but also to belong to one another. This is really attractive to non-believers. If you've got a Bible handy, quickly turn to uh, Acts. Just uh, have a quick look at the early church. I'm sure you know these uh, verses really, really well. But Acts 2, verse 44, and all the way around there, 44 says, All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and their goods. They gave to everyone they had in need. And then if you flick forward a, a few chapters to 4, verse 34, for example, all that passage It talks again about this this being together. And there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, they owned lands or houses, sold them, them, brought them for the moment and put them at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to all those who had need. Both of these passages show that the early church was very much about relationships, loving one another, supporting one another, showing that they belonged to one another. And this, in these two short passages, we can see was something that was at the core of the beginning of the church. Loving and caring for one another. If there were problems, they'd sort it out between them. they share food together, live together, work together. It's all about being together. A book I found really helpful in my time is called Church for Amateurs. And uh, Michael Green, who writes this, uh, says this on these two passages. Is there any wonder that people were attracted to this new move and this new movement got off to such a wonderful start? 
their warmth, their generosity, their care for the poor and needy, their complete break with materialism, their fervent praise, their joyful praise of a God they knew. Why? It was unparalleled in the ancient world. It's not just unparalleled in the ancient world. It's unparalleled today. There's a church, there's a a community crying out to belong. And we as church are showing people that it's important to belong. It's important to love one another. And the Bible's very clear. At the end of Acts 2, verse 47, it said, The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Church was attractive because it provided a place for people to belong. There were so many people being saved. Just as the ancient world were attracted to the community of believers because of that sense of belonging, so in today's difficult world, we have an opportunity, an opportunity to show people that they can belong. And that's a basic human need. That's why small groups are so important, caring and providing for one another. It's hugely attractive to non-Christians that we would meet together weekly to pray, to support one another, to love one another, to just chill out with one another. It often amazes them, the commitment we have to one another. So let's stop for a moment and just think of some questions for us. How can I, as a member of the family of God, help non-Christians get a glimpse of what it's like to be the body of Christ? Which non-Christian can I introduce to the community of believers? It's a huge challenge, but it can be as simple as a card through the door or a listening ear. Once again, uh, in the last couple of weeks, I heard a story about someone who became a Christian through a neighbour helping them out when they were in a bad place in their lives. The Christian neighbour just showed care and concern. And then other, group, other members of her small group got involved. And soon that person had committed themselves to Christ. And it was because of the attractiveness of a fellowship support. Let's just have a moment of silence and maybe think of those two questions. Let's move on then. Secondly, the church family is attractive to non-believers when they stand up for what they believe. This sounds a bit bizarre, really, but uh, hopefully it will make a bit more sense as we explore it. We're going to be uh, looking at Daniel 3, so you might find it helpful. Thank you, Margaret, for reading all those. uh, I thought you said bagpipes through halfway through that, but I might have been wrong. Did you? (laughs) No, it sounded like it. I thought you were interpreting your uh, scripture. There we go. I love this story at the moment. We've been uh, acting it out with the Sunday school, which caused great amusement. And uh, we also acted it out with the girls' brigade, which also caused great amusement. And I guess the usual teaching point, which is what we've been bringing out with the kids, is kind of who do you worship? But let's uh, think about it maybe from a slightly different angle tonight. 
Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego refused to worship another idol or God. They stood firm in their faith in Yahweh. It's basic Ten Commandments stuff. They refused to worship another. They only worshipped God. And together they stood up for what they believed. They were firm in that, proclaimed that, didn't budge, even though they knew their lives were on the line. Look at uh, verse 16 to 18. I mean, this is bravery. They've just been told they'll be chucked in a blazing furnace. And they say, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They refused point blank to worship another. They weren't budging from their beliefs. All over the world today, many Christians are in that place, standing up against adversity, standing up and saying, I'm not going to do that practice. I'm not going to worship or compromise in that way. We will not live that way that you ask because God comes first. There are millions of Christians who daily have to proclaim that. Richard and I recently have started supporting Open Doors, an organisation that uh, stand up for those who are persecuted by raising awareness and prayer and all kinds of uh, different ways. And the information that they send through uh, just brings you to your knees. So many people, young and old, standing daily, like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, and saying, I will not compromise who I will worship. The statistics are incredible. There are so many people being persecuted a day. Let me tell you about China. I'm sorry, we're going on holiday in a few months there. I'm very excited and I've read so much about China. I had to get it in somehow. But you will know uh, their history a bit. But in uh, 1950, all of the missionaries in China were kicked out. There was about one million Christians present in China at that time. But all the missionaries, all of the leaders were chucked out or imprisoned. And now after many difficult years of extreme torture and persecution, the Christian leaders and the church doesn't have to exist underground in the way it used to. And the government itself reckon that there are over 75 million Christians in China. Now, the church has grown from 1 million Christians to 75 million Christians, whilst Christianity has been illegal. This is a country where house churches are still raided by the authorities, where printing a Bible is still illegal, where talking to a child or a young person under 18 about Jesus is prisonable. Yet the church is growing. Why? They have faced adversity together. They've supported and grown together. They've not bowed down to any other God. Let me tell you about a a family in China. Ten brothers and sisters in China were imprisoned, beaten and bound. They've been preaching on the streets with tears steaming down their faces. Christians and non-Christians stood still and listened. Even the fortune tellers were moved by the Holy Spirit and burst out crying. Many people hearing the word forgot to eat, work, or even return home. Ah, must have been good preaching. 
The brothers and sisters preached until they were exhausted, but the crowd would not let them leave. But the authorities, however, came and dragged the Christians away, binding them with rope and beating them with electric shock poles, knocking them unconscious. When they revived, they continued to pray, sing and preach to the bystanders, and then they were moved to a prison. When the brothers and sisters in the area saw the courage of the Christians, many converted Because, they said, the Christians were still praying, the Christians were still singing, the Christians were still praising their God together. And that strength saw the spread of the gospel in that area. Whenever uh, I think about that, it's incredible. China's still a place where persecution for Christians is rife. Yet the church has grown that much. Had uh, just a newsletter through last week. They uh, are having a revival in China at the moment. When I think of revival, I think of like, you know, four or five more people coming to know God. 20,000 people a day are coming to know Jesus in China at the moment. And they're crying out for Bibles and crying out for leaders and crying out for prayer. And, you know, if you've got two minutes, pray for the church in China. It's exploding. What does that say to us? The church of Christ is attractive to non-believers when we stand up for what we believe. So many times you look through the newspaper and you read about the body of Christ and it appears weak, it appears compromised, it appears unsure of what it really believes. And do you know, that makes me sad. And do you know why it happens? Because often... The Church of Christ doesn't know what it believes. It isn't prepared to stand up for things. And it therefore just appears weak. Simon's sermon a couple of weeks ago really stirred my heart again when he was talking about the changes in modernity and post-modernity. If you weren't here, uh, get a, a tape. But we're in a new world now where truth is difficult. But we know the truth. And together we should stand up and tell people what we believe. Not just one or two lone rangers going on their own, but the church of Christ, the body, the family. We need to stand up for what we believe, not be ashamed of it. Often we don't stand up because we think, well, what will happen to us? What will people think? We've seen from the story of Daniel, evidence from around the world, the church family who stands up for the truth, only worshipping the one true God, is attractive and brings forward others to explore what the Christian faith is about and become believers. Nebuchadnezzar changed his heart completely. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They trusted in him, were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any other God. They were promoted and many others worshipped the living God, Yahweh, because they stood up for what they believe. A church who stands up to and shouts about what we believe is attractive. We don't often think about it being attractive, but it is. Today we live in a dark world But actually, the church have a responsibility to be a light in that dark world, to stand up and be strong. We are attractive 
as a body of Christ, when we display true fellowship, show that we're brothers and sisters, that they can belong to this place, but also that we know what we believe and we can understand what it is to be a Christian. I think there's a challenge for us on a personal level there, but also for us as a church. The challenge for us here is, will we allow God to make us that kind of community? Will we allow God to change us? Will we allow God to change you and me? Will we stand up and proclaim who Jesus is? What do we need to stand up for together? Is there something that we need to stand up for in this town as Burlington Baptist Church? Is it the restrictions that we've had on the Christian voice in the local radio or media? Is it a voice about education? Is it standing up for Jesus in the gay, lesbian discussions that are going on? What are we going to stand up for? A church family is attractive to non-believers when actually we stand up for what we believe and we engage in meaningful discussion. What are you going to stand up for as part of the body of Christ in your workplace, in your family, in your friendship groups? The truth is never easy to shout about, but it does bring freedom. And believe it or not, it creates more interesting conversations. Just to uh, summarise, really, the family of God is attractive. It models who we really are. Somebody who needs to belong to something, belong to God, but belong to one another. There's a place for that in this town. We need to be that kind of people. It's attractive when we show who we really are. It's attractive when we stand up for what we believe in. As we think about fellowship this week, about being part of the body of Christ, I know this is thinking maybe ahead to evangelism, but the family of God is attractive. Who are you going to show it to this week? Who are you going to let in to see? The doors may be scary, but your face is not. The church who understands what fellowship really is stands as a light in the dark world. A church who truly understands what fellowship and worship of God is truly stands as a beacon of truth and light in a confused world. Let's have a moment of silence together.